we're doing a bit of a, what I've called a ramble through Ruth. So it's, uh, it's a complete change from um, Worcester Loves Money series. Uh, but uh, there we are. I hope, uh, I hope you're enjoying the difference. And we're on Ruth chapter 2 this morning. So I'm just going to read it at lightning speed. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Glean means to pick up the odd bits of... uh, in this case, barley, grain, that the people harvesting have left behind. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the tribe of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite. She's a foreigner. She's not of the people of God, but now she's joined herself to the people of God, who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, have some bread and dip in the wine vinegar. So she sat down with the harvesters and he offered her some roast grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Don't rebuke her. So so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. That is about 13 kilograms. That's quite a lot of grain, isn't it? What's that? Six and a half bags of sugar. There we go. Uh, In weight. And it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law said how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. 
She added, that man is our close relatives. He's one of our guardian redeemers or kinsman redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all the grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now we saw last week we were just uh, trundling through chapter 1. And uh, we, we, we saw some warnings and some encouragements. We saw how this family, particularly Naomi and her now uh, passed away husband, ha- ha- had thought the grass would be greener in Moab. And uh, we saw how sometimes that's how we are. We, we look somewhere else and think, I would be better off if I did this, if I did that. If I went somewhere else, I would be better. But how... That's not always the truth. And we saw how their family slowly, slowly drifted away from God and his purposes. uh, To the extent that they even gave their children pagan names, unbelieving uh, names. Uh, And then we saw how contrary to that, we need to stick with God's promises and trust him. and, And how though they went a long way around, God brought them back to a decision point of trust in him and returning to God's people. And uh, that was the sort of challenge, to, to trust in the Lord, to make, our, to make uh, commitments, how God brings us to a point. Though we, we try to take a shortcut sometimes in life, uh, but our shortcut ends up to be a God's long cut. And uh, he, he somehow has a habit of bringing us all the way back around to where we should be. And, uh, and some, some of us, I know for myself, I think, I've done it again. I, I, I learned that lesson before, but I had to go all the way around the houses and learn the same lesson again, that, that God can be trusted, that it's better to be with him even in difficulties than to go my own way. That was, that was really the story of last week. And so they turn up at the end of chapter one, they turn up back in Bethlehem, which is, uh, a, 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 and in this uh, local village, a, and they're saying, we, we are empty. Uh, Naomi even says, call, call me bitter now. I, I went away full, but I've come back empty. And, uh, you know, feeling empty is not a bad thing if it's God who's emptied us. You know, it's, none of us like that feeling. But if God has emptied us of our independence, that's a good thing. If God has emptied us of our pride, that's a good thing. If it's cost us a bit, if it's cost us a lot, it's still worth it. And God does that to us. It's, it's unpleasant, but he, he prunes us. He disciplines us. He, he cares for us too much to let us go off. And sometimes through circumstances, even tragedies, he works his purposes out. And it's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery. Why, why did Naomi's husband have to die? I have no idea. Why did her sons pass away? I have no idea. I'm sure she cried into her pillow at night. God, that is just not fair. You ever done that? I've done that. Oh, I'll lose the plot. I've done that so many times. That's not fair. But somehow in the wisdom and the mystery of God, he works his purposes out and we can trust him. And so she comes back empty and at last she's submitted to God. She's in, she's in Ephrata, which means uh, fruitful. She's in Bethlehem, the house of God. And now there is bread there, but she's come back empty. She's submitted to God. You know, the Bible says in James 4 verse 7, uh, submit to God and resist the devil. 
But I know sometimes us Christians get a bit muddled up and get it the other way around. You know, we, we, we end up submitting to the devil and resisting God. And um, it's not a good way to live your life. It's better to resist the devil and submit to God. Uh, and the shortcuts we take don't really work. So even though she turns back empty and feeling she's bitter, actually, this is the beginning of a whole new chapter of fruitfulness. She, she doesn't know that. Often our, our low points, when we feel the most weak and the most low, we turn in dependence to God. And that's the beginning of everything turning around. It's a strange truth. So God is now going to show her amazing favor and kindness. So that's, that's the sort of introduction. And, and in this chapter, you get the beginning of, of a great picture of what's called the kinsman redeemer or the guardian redeemer. And, and it's one of those Old Testament stories. It actually happened. It was real history, but it's a picture of Jesus. It's an amazing thing. Man. And it, it all happens, the book of Ruth, basically from the chapter two to the end. It all happens in the time of two harvests, the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, which were consecutive in that part of the world. And, and so she arrives back home at the time of the barley harvest. And that's significant because it was actually, the barley harvest coincided with the time of the festival of Passover. So some of us will know, maybe others won't. Passover was when the time when they remembered that they as a people were rescued from slavery. Is that on? Yeah, it is on. Um, and, and, and do you remember the story? They were, they were all slaves in Egypt, and God said, I want you to sacrifice a lamb and paint from the blood of the lamb on, on the doorposts and, and, and the lintel over the top. And, and then when I come in judgment, you will be rescued. You will be free from judgment, and, and I will rescue you. And, I, and he took the whole nation out. And Passover was when they remembered this. They had the feast with the lamb, a special meal. And, and, and that's, that's the time when Ruth meets, for the first time, her relative, her, her kinsman, her guardian redeemer. And, and we know for New Testament believers, that was also the time when Jesus the Lamb of God, around the Passover meal, when Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed. Our rescuer, our redeemer, the one who rescues us from sin and shame and the judgment of God and gives us forgiveness and adoption as children and a future hope. So it's a wonderful sort of picture story. So it happened in Old Testament times, but it's a great picture of what Jesus has done for us. Where we meet our Redeemer is at the cross, where he sacrificed his life for us. And the story sort of changes around now, and the focus, rather than being on Naomi and her story, is now all on Ruth. And she begins, slowly but surely, to trust in this relative, this kinsman redeemer. She trusts in God. In verse um, 12, Boaz says to her, to her you've come to, to trust, you've come under the wings of God, you've come to take refuge. It's a, gr it's a great picture. I, I, I don't know how many of you have ever kept chickens. Any, any kept chickens? Only, only one chicken keeper. Ah, what, a, what a bunch of 
What a bunch of townies we are. Okay. <laughs> but you know, you know, baby chickens, if they're nervous, they all, they all rush to the mother hen who, who, who puts her wings around them. And that's, that's the picture. He, he's saying, hey, hey you've, you've come to, to take refuge. You've come for shelter to, the, uh, to God. You've begun to trust in him. And the interesting thing is, in, in Israel to this day, the book of Ruth is read out at the Feast of Pentecost, which is the wheat harvest. So it, it starts at the Feast of Passover, which is the barley harvest, and, it, and, um, and yet it's read out today in Israel at, at the Feast of Pentecost, which is the wheat harvest. But for New Testament believers, that's a celebration of when God gives the Holy Spirit to his church. It's the birthday of the church. And that's when she, uh, to tip you off about the end of the story, uh, that's where she marries Boaz. She becomes one with him at that time. So the whole story takes part, place sort of between those two harvests. And it's a great picture of what God does for us, isn't it? And I, I, it may be a bit complicated, but God introduces us. God the Father draws us to our, our relative, our saviour, Jesus, who redeems us, who rescues us from our sins. He, he joins us to him. So the Bible doesn't say you just, oh, you sort of believe in Jesus. It says you're in Jesus, you're in Christ, and he gives us his spirit. So it's a great sort of parallel, a picture of what Jesus does for us. And we'll come back to that perhaps at the end. But back to the story. She comes back to a difficult place. Just think about Ruth. She, she's, she belongs to a tribe that's the, and a nation that's the enemy of the people of God. I don't know, I can't quite think of a, a parallel with that. But it's really tough. It's really, she's not just a foreigner. That's hard to come as someone who belongs to a different nation, to, to UK or any other nation. That's a difficult thing. But even more, if the nation you're part of is hated where you arrive. That's really, really tough. Not only that, she's just a stranger. Some of us, you know, we find it difficult to go into a room where we don't know anyone, let alone a nation, different culture. She doesn't know anyone. And she's got no husband, which is a big deal in many parts of the world. It's a, it's a really big deal in that part of the world and at that time in history. She has no protection. She has no provider. And she's, she's a, a single woman and she's a widow. That's, that's really, really hard. But... She's in the right place. That's the important thing, isn't it? To be where God wants you to be. That's more important than whether it's easy or hard. I, I remember saying to my father when we've had a couple of big moves in our lives and saying, Dad, I, I, we think God's calling us to go somewhere else again. But, but I feel bad he was getting older. I feel bad because it's even further away from you and mum. And uh, I've never forgotten, he said... Some, the best and safest place for you to be is where God wants you. That's a great quote. You can write it down if you want. Frank Thomas. <laughs> the best and safest place to be is where God wants you. That's true for all of us. With all the vulnerabilities you might feel, the best and safest place to be is where God wants you. Because problems are not the absence of God. Sometimes you think, I've got problems. Where's God? The problems are not the absence of God. The safest place to be is in the center of his will. 
So they were in a difficult place. But then I notice also, just in passing, there's just this wonderful, remarkable friendship between an older lady and a younger woman, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And I know that relationship can be tricky. I, I know these things. Ah. It can be tricky in English culture. It can be even trickier in other cultures, naming no names. I've heard it said, I went to another culture once and, and they, they said, um, my, my late young woman said to me, my mother-in-law makes my life miserable until she dies. And then it's my job to make the women who my sons marry to make their life miserable. <laughs> no, that's just that's not biblical by the way that's just an anecdote okay that's, i'm not telling you to follow that just the very opposite this this woman's got a wonderful relationship with her mother-in-law they're caring for each other they love each other they trust one another they care for one another and and ruth realizing that naomi is too old to go and work now she, she volunteers. She makes herself vulnerable. She says, I will work hard for you. Even though I'm, I'm a stranger, I'm vulnerable, there's no one to protect me, I'll go out and work in the fields with what could be rough, rough workmen. She may be mistreated. There may be sexism and worse for her. But she says, no, I, I'll trust God. I'm going to work and care for you. Now, obviously, we're in a different culture here in Worcester. But, you know, it should be the same in our churches, shouldn't it? That, that regard for the older generation, that care and love for one another. It's actually nothing to do with national culture. It's a biblical principle to care for those who are older, to respect. The Bible talks about gray hair, and it's coming, it's coming. Uh, gray hair being a, a crown of glory. Uh, our, our Western culture is all wrong in that regard. People despise the old, they're, they're old, they're weak, they're irrelevant. No, they're older, they're experienced, they're wiser, they've lived a bit. Let's respect and love and care for one another. Fa uh, let's build a family, I think we are, a family life in our church where everybody is honoured. Everybody. And Ruth, realising she's too old, as I say, she offers to do an intimidating thing and go and work for her, their living. There's also a timeless principle in here, though it was part of Old Testament culture, to care for the poor. To care for the poor. See, that they had a law whereby when you harvested the field, anything you dropped should be left. So the guys harvested, they've got the swisher, technical term. They're swishing to and fro with a sickle or, or something like that. They're cutting the stalks down. Behind the men who are doing that kind of hard graft, there's poor ladies breaking their backs. They're, they're picking the grain up and, and stacking it, really, so it can dry out, stacking it in, I don't know what they were called out there, but in shocks, we used to call them, in, in, in yeah, seeds of wheat, standing up so they can dry out further. And then, but behind them, the law said, you mustn't cut right to the edge of the field. You've got you to leave stuff around the edge of the field. And if you drop something, you can't pick it up. And, and the reason they gave that law was so that poor people could come and pick up the grains and the stalks that other people had missed. That was a provision. They didn't have child benefit, they didn't have income support, they had none of those government things. It was a provision so that poor people could work, have the dignity of work, but survive. That's a, that's a good thing, to have the dignity of doing what work you can, but having a means of gaining some income and surviving. 
that was, that was the, the, the deal. In fact, there's much in the Old Testament about caring for foreigners and caring for the poor. There's loads of verses. And, and when it came to the New Testament and the birth of the church, there was a big issue uh, amongst when, when people started getting saved that were not Jewish. They said, well, which bit of all this complicated Old Testament law should we, should we pick up? Do we have to get circumcised? No, we don't have to get circumcised. Whew, it's okay. Uh, but what do we do? What, what don't we do? Uh, and you know, the one, one of the things they kept in Galatians 2 verse 20 when Paul was working this out with the other apostles who were Jewish they said hey the one thing you must keep the one principle of the Old Testament thing law you must keep is this you must remember the poor and Paul says hey that's okay that's the very thing I was eager to do so that's that's a principle that continues into the New Testament church to care for those who are poorer and, and I'm so thrilled that we as a church have been able to be part of that in, in our age, in our generation, to care for the poor. So Naomi goes out working. And uh, as she works, and she works hard, it's noted how hard she works. I hope you work hard. Hard work's okay. If you're tired at the end of the day, that's okay. It's supposed to be. I'm getting tired earlier. I think it must be something to do with my age now. I can't actually remember the last time I was really eager to go out at night. I, my chair is really nice. Anyway, but I do it, and, and then it's fun. But, but anyway, she works hard. The Bible encourages us actually to do our work as if we were doing our work, that spreadsheet, that care, that whatever it is we're doing, that taking, doing the nappies, taking kids to work, lecturing, whatever you do, to do it as if you're doing it for Jesus. That's I know it's hard to imagine your boss as Jesus, some more than others, but that's the picture. Hey, let's work, let's work hard. So Ruth works hard, and it's, it's noted. Who's that woman? And the, the guys in the field say, hey, she's, she's worked from morning till night. She just had a brief rest in the shelter from the midday sun, but she's really hard worker. It's great when your hard work is noticed, your integrity is noticed in the secular world. And that, that was true for Ruth. But, but the thing is, God's working too. Oh, bless him. Killing that boy again. I don't know. And, and, and it, it's, it's very interesting. The phrase keeps coming as it turned out in verse 3. See, God is at work every day. He's not just at work in the miracles. He's, he's at work in the ordinary. Just the ordinary things of life. And it just, it just we would say, it just so happened that she ended up in this field owned by Boaz. It just so happened that working at the next table to me was this person. It just so happened at the school gates I was talking to that person. It, all these coincidences, that's what we call them, isn't it? Just accidents. But God is at work in the everyday. They're not accidents. They're not coincidences. God is at work, not just in the miraculous kapow, but in the ordinary humdrum. He's a God of the humdrum and the extraordinary. So actually, the humdrum can be extraordinary without us even knowing. God is a sovereign, mighty God. And uh, it was not planned by Ruth, but God is guiding her. You know that, that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 thing? We, we, we looked at that last week. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Sometimes he directs your path by saying, Isaac, not like that, like this. No, no, go there. No, give them a ring. That's great. Sometimes he directs our paths. We don't even know he's directing our paths. 
He just is directing our It's a promise. He, he's doing it whether you realize it or not, if you acknowledge him and trust in him. Romans 8, 28, in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. In all things. See, we know so little of what God is doing around us. Don't we? Someone once said, God is doing far more behind your back than in front of your face. It's a great, it's a great quote. We know so little of what God is doing in the ordinary, everyday, the people we just happen to know, the, the people we live amongst. All of these things, God is working. And as we begin to walk with God in the ordinary, not rushing off, not doing our own thing, then as it happens, as it turned out, coincidentally, things begin to happen and doors open and we become fruitful. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways of life. Acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. So let's acknowledge God in the everyday. As Ruth is working hard in the ordinary stuff, what's it got to do with God? I'm just collecting up. I'm just doing the things that poor people do. I'm trying to scratch a living. No, actually, God is at work for her as she is trusting him and doing her work. It's a real life story, isn't it? The interesting thing is this, even bigger picture than that is Jesus' own ancestry was being established. That's a, that's a big one, isn't it? She didn't know, he didn't know, but generations later, Jesus Christ would be born through this line of Ruth. There's the other woman that's in the line of Jesus is Rahab, the prostitute. That's the grace of God, isn't it? One prostitute, this lady, a foreigner, not one of the people of God, but in the sovereignty of God, showing his grace and his heart for the nations, they're, 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 they're the antecedents, is that the right word, of Jesus. If Jesus could do his ancestry.com, there would be Ruth, <laughs> there would be Rahab. Ooh, look who I'm related to. What a shock. So let's allow God to work in the normal Let's have the extraordinary, by all means, in the midst of the ordinary can be the extraordinary. But, but actually, he's extraordinarily at work, even in the ordinary stuff. Even at the checkout, at the post office, in the people we live and work amongst. And then, lastly, run out of time, is just to see, go back to Boaz again as a picture of Jesus. The Redeemer. It just, it just turns out that Naomi says, you know, he's a close relative He's, he's related to you. Now, I know Jesus is the, uniquely the Son of God, but did you know he's, he's also fully human? He, he's, a, he's a relative, if I can put it like that. He, he's got the same flesh and blood as you and I. He fully understands us. And you know, the Bible says, for those who trust in him, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not ashamed to call you brother, sister, even though he's Lord of Lords. He's also your older brother to you. And he notices Ruth straight away. He gets in the field. Now, maybe she was a looker. I don't know. Certainly, she stuck, stood out because she was obviously of a different nation. But he notices. Do you know Jesus notices you all the time? All, all the time. Not a hair falls from your head. And that's happening to me now. I've just noticed that. Not a hair falls from your head without him noticing you. Say, oh, I don't count. Hey, you're not a national insurance number to Jesus. 
He knows you by name. He knows everything about you. And then he provided for Ruth everything she needed. You know, the, the Bible says our God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And then he protects her. Stay here. Don't go to any other field. I've commanded the men not to touch you. Jesus looks after us. He protects her. And he showed her grace. She says to him in verse 10, she says, why have I found such favor in your eyes? That's a great word. Favor. Por favor. Means grace. Why, why have I found such undeserved kindness? That's what we found in Jesus, isn't it? If you haven't, you can. His undeserved kindness, his love, his grace. That's the basis of the relationship with Jesus. It's not how, how hard I strive to please him. It's his grace and kindness towards us. He rescued us, her from poverty because he has resources. It's a great picture of Jesus. Of course, it didn't cost Boaz anything like what it costs Jesus. Poured out his life. We've remembered this morning in the bread and the wine. And so is this kinsman redeemer. And we'll get back to that story next week. Because for Boaz, it was just a duty. It was a legal duty according to the Old Testament. That family members had a duty, a legal responsibility to care for hard up members. They could buy property and give it back to the person who's in difficulty. So they could start a new life free of debt. And uh, you could even, if you, if you were a relative and someone had been widowed, you could marry that woman in order for the family line to continue, which was a big deal for them. And then a child could then inherit and the family line continues. It was a way of protecting the vulnerable from property speculators, from someone that just wanted the, the property. We'll look at that next week. But it was a duty for Boaz it was a willing sacrifice for Jesus. He didn't have to, but out of love. The Bible says God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let's follow the example of these ladies. Let's care, love, and protect one another. Let's trust Jesus, our Redeemer, to protect us, to provide for us, to show grace for us and to rescue us and then we'll we'll go another time at the beginning of July we'll look at uh, we'll look at Boaz and the great redemption that he applied so I, I, it's a bit of a ramble I said it was a ramble through Ruth and I've been true to my word but I hope it's beneficial to us as we think about this great great story so father we thank you for all you've done we thank you for Nadim and what's happening in Pakistan we thank you for the provision that you've given him in a job, uh, Lord, just as you provided for Ruth. We thank you that you provide and care for us. So we commit one another into your love and ask you that as we go about our ordinary lives this week, you would continue to be an extraordinary God, that we would see in the, just the coincidental things that happen, your great plan working out for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.